All right. Welcome. This is uh, Know Your Roles. We're back. Uh, we're back. Yeah, yeah. We're back for another week. I'm Dave. I'm George. This is our, our Know Your Roles this week is the our NBA preview part two, Know Your Roles style. You're going to hear a lot of previews. We make it our own. This is going to be a great show for you today. We are going to be talking basketball. And like George said, we're going to be talking in Know Your Roles style. So we're going to be comparing it to some shit that uh, might not go with it. And today, that's going to be Nas Tracks. And we had a great guest on to talk about that with us. Good friend of George and stand-up comedian, writer, uh, renaissance man, um, Clark Jones, a Chicagoan as well, which is always fun for me. I feel like we we got to branch out. Our guests are Boston, Chicago, New York. I got some friends from Omaha. I swear. <laughs> I, I apologize. Just, just for the record, like it's been a coincidence mostly. It has been. It has been. When I seek this out, I was like, where are you from? Uh, yeah, you can't be on the show. Well, it's all your friends, so it, you can't be friends with George if you're not from, like, three places. <laughs> if, if you're from, like, the middle of the country, you can go fuck yourself. I'm just kidding. I love everyone. Yeah, we, we love it. <laughs> so, Dave, what's in your bar? All right. So, my bar today, um, I finally fucking watched uh, Hunt for the Wilder People which you helped me decide on a few few weeks back. You know, 2016 feature from Taika Waititi with Sam Neill and Julian Dennison plays the kid. Uh, it's really good. I mean, you know, that's that's not news to anyone. Taika is, is, a, is a known quantity, but I really liked it. He, he really uh, walks that line so masterfully, you know, the tonal shifts from emotional and, and intense to 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 fun and funny um yeah he's just he's just a really really great filmmaker and that also leads me to my next thing which got me really excited for one of his next projects which i just heard about because fx just picked it up and it's a tv show he's developed with native american filmmaker sterling harjo and it's called reservation dogs and it's an all native American writer's room. And that's super cool. And Taika being, you know, he's a, um, an indigenous person as well of, of New Zealand. It's like the show is about uh, like a group of native American teenagers and it's like a comedy drama. And yeah, I'm excited for it. It sounds awesome. Res Dogs. And then I also watched Memories of Murder. The Bong Joon-ho movie uh, is like early masterpiece. Whoa. <laughs> it's a, I like, it's hard. It Even in any movie, it's, I, I try to get away from saying like good versus bad. You know what I mean? But like, as far as like recommendations go, I think the film is incredible. It's not a film that you like, like or love. Cause it's like, it's really, really disturbing. And it's like, it's, it's like, it's stark, man. Like you have to be, you have to be in the space for it. Cause it's like, it's based on a true story and it's about serial killers, a serial killer in Korea, but it's not like uh, Oliver Stone, Quentin Tarantino serial killer. Movie. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not Mickey and Mallory. Like they're not, they're not cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's not, it's not fun. <laughs> um, not a fun movie, mm -hmm. but uh, the main guy who's like in his other stuff is also in it. Uh, Song Kang Ho. I believe that's how you pronounce it. He's unbelievable. And he plays uh, a cop, but he's not a hero. <laughs> and there's like a lot of like 
specific like Korean like cultural critique and stuff in there that you know I would have to anyone in the states probably including myself would have to like look into to like understand but there is a lot of stuff that translates especially like you know for me I mean policing is also a problem in Korea <laughs> uh it's not uniquely a problem here so uh yeah that was one what if they're in the the, the same union I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Well, we know it's dirty as fuck. <laughs> they have like meetings, like the co-op in fucking season three of this wire. <laughs> it's like, was there a line in between the the, the co and the op? <laughs> yeah, I'm taking the minutes. The minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Just to this day, one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. It's genius. Like take, yeah. The book says take the minutes. <laughs> The fucking drug conspiracy. <laughs> All right, George, what's uh, what's on your bar? So last week we, we did an episode in which you shouted out bars and we shouted out cocktails. I'm going to just continue that just one more time and shout out one bar in particular is a bar that I'm friends with the owner. I'm friends with all the bartenders and I've been going there for years. And that is American Cheese on 15th and 7th. Due to COVID restrictions and all the things that is going on in 2020, they've unfortunately have to close for the winter. They started a GoFundMe page to help the staff and help with the owner's uh, Shout out to, to Brad and like all those folks over there, Brad and Rob. So I want to I want to take some time to say this to our, our listeners, and we're gonna we're gonna put up their GoFundMe thing on when we when we post this. Shout out to American Cheese. We're all gonna we're gonna we're gonna make it we're gonna make it through this. And uh, I've been going to this bar. They're like my late night hang after I've gotten done one work, and they've always let me in after four o'clock in the morning to shoot the shit and talk about sports and have drinks. So it's it's uh, it's unfortunate that they've had to close the doors for the winter, but we're all gonna we're. We're gonna make sure that they bounce back. So, what's in my bar is a little little something about the folks at the fine folks at American Cheese. Get well soon. Absolutely, I agree. I spent a couple of those late nights there as well. It's fun times. Um, all right, so we're gonna get into uh, our guest here, Clark Jones, and we're gonna have a, a good talk with him. And then we're gonna play uh, our game where we put Nas tracks with uh, current NBA players. As our uh, season preview, part two. Absolutely. All right, y'all. Enjoy. Like, it's almost like you see somebody across the room and they're wearing the same outfit. You're just sort of like, you almost, there is more than just a conversation that you have. You kind of. Yeah. It means something. It does. Yeah. Uh, I've been listening to Bakari Sellers, who went to South Carolina State, I think. Morehouse. I'm sorry. Morehouse. Bakari Sellers did. Yeah, that was my classmate. Oh, really? <laughs> there you go. Sorry, I didn't answer me yet, but I just want to throw that out there. It's it's funny where I was. Uh, I've been listening to his podcast. You listen to his podcast? I do. Yeah, it's, it's really good. He's a great. He's a great dude. We uh, I've known him since he was 16 years old. Oh, really? Yeah, this is a whole different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it's whatever you want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, like that, I was, that was definitely one of the questions I wanted uh, to to ask you about. First off, Clark Jones. We have Clark Jones today uh, on the Know Your Rolls podcast, aka Pod Strickland. Aka Pod Strickland. Hell yeah, let's get it. Let's get it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening to your podcast uh, this week, and uh, I re-listened to your album, which is great, and Dave's going to get in that a little bit. 
too. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was like, there was always the connection that that HBCU like uh, members have with each other. Can you explain that to to our listeners? Uh, mm-hmm. Because uh, you went to Morehouse and our future vice president with the Howard. So my cousin with the Howard is like, it's almost like they, it's like you see somebody who just like, oh no, I have, I have something in common with that person. It is not just about school. So can you explain that to us and our listeners? All we got is tradition and networking. There's not all we got thanks to Netflix, but the thing that we've had for the longest time is networking and traditions. Like we don't have the facilities or, you know, the, we haven't had the huge names. We don't have white alumni like that. So all we got is we don't have George Lucas. So what we have is the tradition and the history and uh, the networking. Like when I started comedy, when I first started touring with comedy, I knew I at least had two, no matter what city I went to, I at least had two HBCU, uh, graduates, people I knew, or somebody told somebody, hey, check out my boy um, in every city I went to. And sometimes, like, real early on, I had a place to stay no matter where I went mm-hmm. in the world, not just in, you know, in America, but anywhere, because uh, the cosine is everything. Yeah, uh, I, I went to school, as you know, in Memphis, Tennessee, go Tigers. Yes, sir. And, uh, Hear me. Hear me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'll let me. So I was, uh, I've, I've, the, the best part of like, uh, one of the weekends that in September being in Memphis, the Southern Heritage Classic played between Tennessee State and, uh, Jackson State, both, both known as Tigers. And, uh, I was always, as an outsider, being from Virginia, going to school in Tennessee and like going to, going to those games, it was like, it wasn't really about the football. It was about yeah. the halftime shows. So tell me about the halftime show at Morehouse and what was that like? I mean, homecoming at HBCU is everything because of that community. That's where you network. That's where you get back yeah. with whoever you tried to get it with in undergrad and didn't work. But look, I got a job now, or I'm on now, or like, you're, especially like with social media now, you can see like, see, I'm popping. I'm, you know, I got the clout or whatever. So it's a, it's a chance to do that and just reconnect. If you have frat brothers or uh, sorority sisters, it's um, I got to perform at my school's homecoming a couple years ago. It was just like. Damn, I'm performing in King Chapel, this place I used to have to go to every Thursday for Crown Forum. Now I'm like paid to be here. It was it was it was a real full circle, great feeling. And uh, you know, it's just it's just black HBCUs are coming up. And it's like it's it's you know, people are recognizing and you know, when they're going for talent where they want to go, they go straight to the black colleges first now, which is real dope. And it's uh some of the most beautiful women you've ever seen. <laughs> And I'm just glad I don't want the world to know too much about homecoming because you'll see, <laughs> you'll see like the first black president of American Express, like juking and drunk off anything at a tailgate. <laughs> I was I was gonna say I appreciated that joke on your album about you can't let uh, white supremacists know about uh, HBCU homecoming. Yeah, I'm telling you, like Colin Powell at Howard, like. Yelling, my president is black, like out the Corvette. Like he it's 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 a time to let your hair down too. And just like, you know, it's like I, I can't speak for all, but like, and you may not even be aware of it, but most rooms in the country, if you're a white person, you'll go in and you'll see white people everywhere. And it's homecoming at a black school is the one chance place where one time a year where you go into a party, you go into a um a business, whatever. And you just see only black people. And, you know, if a white person came down, it's like you'll get that feeling of where we are most of the time. Whereas, like, if you see another white person, you go, oh, I wonder what they're doing here. 
And that's how I go most places now. I'm like, if I see another black person, I at least go check them out and see like if we're coming from the same place. So like it's it's a role reversal. It's like that movie, uh, White Man's World. I think white people are like just kind of, I mean, myself included, being a white person, just started to realize that, you know, that it's not like, yeah, like we don't have to think about that, that like everything on TV is what, especially me. Everything. White cis man, like every fucking thing you see. So you're never like, oh, I can't be that. So like even like me, my like super lefty brain, like I had to be like, oh, Obama is something like even Obama's election. Like, I don't really, it, I don't, I don't understand the full impact of that. Yeah. You know I mean? Just seeing the representation, like, you know, I don't want to get too far into politics because it divides people, but I had my feelings about um, Kamala at first, all political, but then just having conversations with women of all races, just being able to see a version of yourself or see yourself on that stage. Everybody deserves that. I don't I don't think Barack Obama's presidency did everything I would have wanted it to do, but I can't take for granted what it felt like just to have a black man on that stage. And everybody deserves that. So I had to quell some of my public thoughts about policy and this, this, that, and the third, because it's people who really felt like they walked a little bit higher or the shoulders were a little bit higher, AKAs that I know, people that I know that went to Howard, like it was, they deserved to, to see that, you know, white people have had that for the longest time. And you might say, well, you don't know what it's doing for you until you don't have it. So a white person, go to a black homecoming by yourself. Don't go with friends. Just go to a black homecoming by yourself. If you ever want to know what it's like to be a black person. Or you can get as political as you want. America. Dave and I have had discussions about, about, about Kamala Harris's and, and some of our voting records that just has not and will not age well, but it was, Neat on that Saturday to wake up to see it was like you know what, it's, it's this is this is cool. Yeah, I mean I, I'll I'll never even have to get it completely because of my main issue with the Oscar Grant thing. Like that's my main issue with her tenure. Um, but I mean, she was a cop. Mm-hmm. She was a she was a cop. But to get Trump out, you needed a cop. <laughs> he needed to be arrested. It took a cop to get him Absolutely. out. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally. And what, I mean, to what you were saying, like multiple things can be true, right? Like. Multiple things absolutely true at the same time. Like, because, and, and like I said, like for a white person, it really like took me a long time, you know, cause I want to look at, at it from a purely political standpoint, right. you know what I'm saying? Like where the politics mm-hmm. are and you have to under, like, that's important. Um, but you yeah. have to understand that they're, there are, I mean, you know, not to get too, too off, but it's a, it's kind of a silly moment, but for me, it really was powerful watching that doc from a couple of years ago, the Stefan Marbury documentary. I don't know if you guys saw that. Yeah. Yeah. I watched that one. Like there's the scene at the end where he's like on Coney Island and he's like at the barbershop and there's like a little kid and like, he had to tell him, like he's, he didn't know that he could be president, you know, right. and like they, and it was just so like, and for me, like, it's really important to see that. Cause again, I, I want to look at it from like a sterilized, like politics lens. If you're, if you're a sports fan and you live in like, I'm trying to think of a town or something that won a Super Bowl or a championship recently, that literally has nothing to do with you. That team 
that the um the Toronto Raptors winning the NBA championship had nothing like they sell it as oh the fans we want to thank you y'all they wanted the Lakers won with no fans in the audience so like that whole idea is is BS but you get a sense of pride feeling like damn maybe I fate is on my side I happen to be born in this town that won the championship maybe like if you're a young black girl you see Kamala you're like maybe there is some there, there's a mm-hmm. chance that I have some sort of fate that'll land me in a place that I want to be. Everybody deserves that. Everybody. Deserves that. That's power. It's power. It's power. It's it's empowerment. Like you feel like, damn, I could do maybe not that, but I could do something on that level. Even if it ain't vice presidency, it's something to say like, damn, okay, every woman of color isn't automatically ruled out from top positions. So, like, who who don't deserve that? Yeah, that's a that's a real good way to put it. I I also appreciate on your album, your uh, that that you the pressure was off when uh, you the thanks Obama. <laughs> like you're like, oh, I don't have to be the first black president <laughs> now. <laughs> I was so thankful. Every every young black dude before 2008 who grew up with a single black mom and some other Catholic, it goes across. Whoever hasn't had somebody in that office, their mom has said, oh, they going to be the first uh, Jewish president or they going to be the first Catholic president or they going to be the first black. They, everybody, every young man can relate to that. And some women, but every 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 young man for sure. You, uh, not to serve you too much, but like I, I bought your album uh, because it came out the week before my album came out. Uh, I enjoy your economy of words for it's 56 minutes long, 29 tracks. And I love how how fast it goes. And I, I find that a lot of comics, there's like, I gotta, I gotta do this, it gotta be an hour, it's gotta be an hour and a half. It's like, you just went up there and it, and it was like, it felt like you were having a lot of fun and it was kind of cool to listen to it again. Uh, <laughs> I love when the, one of the jokes that I like was like, when you, the, the way you said white, it was like when the, when the H is pronounced. <laughs> when the H is before the W, that's me. This is when disdain and whites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to, before we get into like you starting out in comedy, I do want to talk about one thing that like, uh, I, I'm a little bit older than you and uh, I, I freak Nick ended in 1998. Uh, but you were in Atlanta after that at Morehouse is like, was there like, like a, like a freak Nick speak easy going on. It was like, uh, the, it was like, Oh, there's, we're still going to be doing it, but it's just going to, we're just going to well, be doing like, it. Aside I was here. thankful. I was lucky because, um, I mean, first of all, everybody knows that Atlanta is, you know, it's black Austin, Texas. And, uh, from the colleges to the, just the, the party vibe and all of that. But I was in school when the NBA all-star game was in Atlanta in 2003. We okay. took that down. I mean, that city, the street, you couldn't drive anywhere. Georgia Tech, the varsity. I was. I have a tape, and I can't find it. It's probably destroyed by now. But I just filmed, like, I had tapes of just being out by the varsity at Georgia Tech. Just everybody hanging out the car, just just, just backing up traffic. Everybody just backing up traffic. People came from everywhere to uh, to party. And it was, it, was, it was wild, man. It was a real wild time. All of that one weekend. <laughs> we, uh, I, was, I was in college. I was friends with uh uh, shout out to Granville Templeton uh, as a lawyer in Baltimore, but he was going on a freak Nick in 1997, my, my freshman year in college. And I remember like not really knowing like what, what that week was, uh, what it meant. But I remember him looking at his camera, fixing his camera 
there's like there's like i'm it was like it was like what are you doing it's like oh i'm going down a freak neck and he's like fixing his camera getting ready for it this like you got it. You, yeah, we, we document. It was right at that time where like VHS was really starting to get, you know, accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. Like the mini cams were getting accessible. So it's a lot of footage out there that I'm sure like is just in a compost seat somewhere. But it was, uh, man, it was it's probably pretty incriminating stuff. Some <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yes, especially anybody running for office now. Like, I mean, black college times anyway was crazy, but then you got money, you got celebrities, and you got uh, models and just like Honey Magazine and Vixen and all this, and the, the video Vixen. It was, it was, it was pandemonium. It was pandemonium. Undeniable. Was it there that you decided that like, like stand up is what you wanted to do, or did it take some years? Because I've always been jealous. I mentioned some comics that we've had before. I've always been jealous of comics that knew right away that's what they wanted to do. What was it like for you, and what age, and how did you get there? Yeah, I was a late starter, you know, comparatively. I didn't really start till 25, but that is where I started to understand, like, not just from a close, you know, I used to joke around in high school, but that was everybody from Chicago. Chicago's like a place where, like, you know, other places be like, oh, that's the one funny dude in our crew. But, like, in Chicago, you got to be funny. That's That's the cool guy. Like, every crew, everybody was the funny person. So then when I went to high school, and I mean, college, I started meeting all these people from different places. That's when I knew, like, my shit could translate to people from different places in Chicago. And, you know, a lot of people don't know me and Will Miles met my freshman year of high school when we went to the same college. So we had that crew. That's where, like, my comic sensibility and, like, my need to relate to people from different walks of life was born. So my sensibility was born in college, but I didn't start stand up till I was 25. Did you also go to Whitney Young? I went to Whitney Young too. Are you from Chicago? I went to Von Steuben. Oh, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 36, I'm from Lakeview. I, I grew up probably like five minutes from where Will grew up. Yeah, me and, me and Will met the first week of high school, uh, freshman. It was crazy. We were talking and like, I I literally said like yeah. one name yeah. to him and he was like, Oh yeah, that's the home. Yeah. I'm like, I yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah I I'm gonna but spare yeah. the audience that this time. But uh um, No, no, we can get into it. One of the things on my list is where did you go to high school so Dave could fucking go crazy about this? <laughs> Whitney Young. Dolphins. Dolphins, West Side of Chicago, man. Yeah, we talked to Quentin Richardson. That, exactly. I I <laughs> Michelle Robinson, uh, Russell Maryland. <laughs> Who else? was Bobby? Bobby Simmons was Bobby Simmons on that team. Bobby Simmons was Simeon. Oh, Simeon. Simeon. Bobby Simmons was Simeon. But they played together at the Paul. Oh, yeah. They played together with uh, I forgot the third guy, the uh, tall dude. Yeah, not uh, Eddie Stephen Curry, Hunter. Stephen Hunter went there, but Lance Richardson, I think, is that. Um, I think Lance oh, Sim- something, but um, Stevenson, Lance Stevenson, yeah, is it? Not, is it? It's not Lance Stevenson, Richardson. No, he's from somewhere else. Oh, he's from Coney Island, but it was like that big recruiting class that went to DePaul. And I just found out Gilbert Arenas was supposed to be in that group, but uh, last minute he ended up going to Arizona. But um, Agent Zero, yeah, Whitney Young, The Adventures of Mortal Kombat. Like, we, we, we got some names. We got some names out there. Yeah, Noob Sabot or whatever. 
They went to Whitney Young. I went to Whitney Young. There you go. <laughs> I'm semi bubbling. I'm semi bubbling. There you go. I mean, you're, you're transitioning nicely from uh, from stand up to writing. What's what are some of the things you've been working on this like this year as far as writing goes? We just finished season one of uh, Run the World, which is um, filming now. They they midway through filming in New York, and it should be out in February on Stars. So um, that was my first like network writing job, and other and stuff. that is that's from the creators of uh, Living Single. Is that correct? The showrunner is uh, um, Yvette uh, Lee Bowser. And she's okay. the creator of um, Living Single. She was hair writer on a different world. She wrote on Blackish um and dear white people she's just been in the game a long ass time like like mate like it was almost perfect as somebody who grew up on a different world like it's like oh shit this is this is my boss like that's crazy i feel like a different world comes up all the time yeah that that show just like it's funny like we've mentioned living single and a different world twice this year this season on uh it, it was an amazing show you talking about the right <laughs> Dwayne Wayne. Dwayne Wayne and Ron, like those two male characters were created by this woman um, and like their dynamic. And she was like in charge of she, one of the reasons why I went to a black college is because of this person. It's like life, life, life is a trip sometimes like that. So, so being 25, starting out stand up, were you just like, Oh, nice. <laughs> was yeah. like, a, we've all, we've all had those bad sets, especially started. I was actually 20, 27. So it's it's like uh but like at what point do you just you just like you know what fuck I gotta keep on going? I'm a I'm gonna keep it a hundred. My first set was good. <laughs> like and I think that's why I stuck with it. Like my first set, Will okay. So the story was Will I was in grad school for journalism. Will was like, um, yo, I'm a, I'm about to start doing stand-up. I was like, oh, man, that's dope. Like, I support it 100%. You funny. You you know, you do your thing. I was like, I'll write some jokes for you. You know, you can use them if you want to. If not, it's whatever. But just for fun, just as a writing exercise. And I had wrote some jokes that I thought were funny, but I was like, I'm, I'm very much into making your truth funny. And you can stretch it a little bit here with parameters, but like, and then maybe it's to my own detriment. But I want it to be a true story, especially my um, jokes that I tell. I'm like, no, this really happened. Like, because I have a bad memory, it has to be at least partially true for me to be able to go out and do sets without writing. Because it's like I take a jazz approach and they say it's not jazz unless you improvise at some point. That's what makes something jazz music. Mm -hmm. I take the core of a story that really happened that I think is funny. That that's not to say I can make everything funny, but I take something that is that really happened that's funny, and then when I go on, you might hear a variation of it, but it's the the core of the story is true. So I was like, I wrote these for him, and I was like, well, these don't really match your personality or whatever. These are kind of things that happen to me. So he was running this. He started this open mic. I did the first one, and my three minutes, like I got I got laughs, and then it just made me go back and fail a bunch after that. But the fact that I got through that first one successfully. That's what made me keep going. Do you remember like the first real bad one? Yeah, I did a competition for Domino's Sugar. <laughs> it was sponsored by Domino's Brown Sugar. And I have a photo of it. I have like on a velvet blazer with a bow tie and new balances and jeans. And that was going to be my look, the bow tie guy. 
And a black lady got up and said, you are not funny. And I was, I had friends there, like seven, eight friends. It was, it just shook me. I froze because that had never happened before. And I didn't even know. I was like, Secu- like security ain't going to do nothing. <laughs> this person is, <laughs> this person is heckling me. Why is it? Why is they thrown out? I want them out of here. <laughs> I thought you got thrown out of comedy shows if you disrupted. That's not like a fuck you. That's like a strong sentence. <laughs> like that's that's a full like I want you to be clear. <laughs> you are not. I don't care what you did last week. And that's that's when I learned. Like I have been mostly doing like Northside, and you know, being from Chicago, like I, that's white rooms where you get a little bit more grace. A little bit, but I'm telling you, it, it you only get two minutes for that first round. And within that two minutes, this lady had surmised, I am not funny. Like I hadn't been on stage for two minutes. And I know when the end of my set, she just, it was trash to her. And uh, I remember I was giving a wheel around right to another set on the North side. And I was just like, I'm quitting. I ain't never doing comedy again. Fuck this. And he, uh, we ended up going up again at the Northside Road, and I did well. And then I was like, all right, all right, I'll, 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 I'll stick it out a little bit longer. It's good that you're able to get out of your system so quickly. The bad set that I had that I remember, I was like, I am never wearing this shirt. Yeah. I ain't wearing these shoes. That's right. Socks, I'm burning them shits. This is over. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it wild? Have you ever, like, analyzed how much superstition has grown since you started comedy, mm-hmm. like I was, it, it's, it's amazing. Like even talking to my therapist, I'm like, I, I didn't know that I was this superstitious until I like, I took a break from comedy. Then it was like, Oh shit. I used to really feel like I gotta wear this shirt. Or if I wear this shirt again, I'll bomb again. Or right. I don't have two uh, vodka cranberry Red Bulls before every show. Like it, it's, 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 it's so bad. It's so used to something. You know that, like, yeah, he's like, oh, that's that's the key to killing every time. I wear these socks, and it's just yeah. like, oh, no, 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 it has nothing to do with that. I mean, I struggled with a, a great deal of like drinking before and and after and during, and I was like, oh, well, the last time, the last great set I had, I only had two drinks, and then you spend the rest of your career chasing that. Chasing. That thing. now I'm just like, you know what? And I just stopped drinking at all before before shows. I was like, I, there's plenty of drinks I can have when I'm done. Yeah. So like it's a bizarre, the bizarre feeling. All of that, drinks, drugs, whatever. Feel yep. like you need it, or you'll bomb. It started off like a bomb if I indulge in this, and then it became a bomb if I don't indulge in this. And it's just, mm-hmm. you can't let superstition control your life. So you're out in LA. Do you miss doing stand up? I miss elements of it. I had a lot of complaints about not knowing how to go about shit, how, how to go about getting certain things. So I don't, I don't miss that part of it. And I won't stand up when it comes back to take a different approach or for me to understand things a little bit better about, you know, just the getting past. And I want people who are gatekeepers to get over. Hopefully some of those people who were just in it for that can get over themselves a little bit. Like, I want stand up to go away for as long as we can weed out some of the bullshit. If we can't weed out the bullshit, I don't. I don't want it to come back like it was. I don't want it to come back with just people. You mean like the the exclusivity and like yeah, and just like the runaround on a lot of things. I think that if anybody is hopping back in the game after all this, then they want it. Like 
stop trying to, you don't, we don't have to figure out if people really desire, like, yeah, if you six months in and you're brand new, cool. But the people who, who come back after all this and, you know, I'm still in LA. I went to Chicago for a little while. My grandmother had a lot of personal things, but like, I was like, even for me, and I'm saying selfishly, like, yo, I put in my due diligence on everything, whether it's one of the reasons why I left New York, I just, I looked at how the sausage was made on a lot of things and people getting passed to certain places. And I'm just like, that is so trash. Even if you're doing that, you take somebody been doing it 12 years, you've been doing it. How long have you been in it, George? 14. 14 years. Certain people, I never even got an audition at the cellar. And I look at that compared to what's actually passed there. And I'm like, some, some don't add up about the game. And I know to some people might be listening. It was like, well, you should know all you got to do is this. I'm like, fuck all that. Fuck all that. Fuck all you got to do is this. Fuck all that at this point. So that part. Go I ahead. Think, yeah. We're finally starting to realize that, like, we don't need to jump through a lot of those hoops. Right. You know what I mean? Like in all these industries is like because the gate, like you said, because the gatekeepers make it that way. And like right. there's been everybody else has just believed, well, you just got to go through these, these. This don't. Yeah. Those, these are people made hoops. Yeah. These aren't, these, the hoops don't come with the game. People make those for whatever reason. And like I said, you know, I, I understand certain people get through because of whatever reason. I'm not judging that. I don't care about that. What I'm saying is certain, there are other people in the game who are very funny, who put in their work. Get them a look. Give me that look at least. You know what I'm saying? I haven't, it didn't stop me from going after what I needed to go after. I still do what I need to do. I set a goal to get a writing job in LA and damn it, that shit happened. So it's not going to stop any business, but just these parameters and shit like that, where you say like, oh, our goal is to have the best comedians in the country. And then I see what I see on stage. I'm like, something don't add up. <laughs> something does not add up. Somebody lying. <laughs> somebody is lying to me and everybody I, I feel that way with every like every goddamn artist you know what i mean like music tv everything all of it like how the fuck does this shit get made you know what i mean how did that get through yeah. and it's like yeah once i started to see get answers to that about like this is why that got through and then it was like all right i'm, I'm wow okay this ain't this ain't the place for me and I was honest with myself about that. Yeah, well, I think there's something to be said for calling it. You know what I mean? For being like, I don't want to be part of this bullshit. Because you you do yeah. see that. Like, I think that we get this idea that, like, you can't do that. You know what I mean? Like, you can't be, like, a salmon swimming right. stream. But, like, you can. You can just yeah. kind of, you can do, you can find a way to do your own thing. It's, it's going to be harder, but you really, the alternate, either I could have play to about other people's rules which i don't even i tried to do that and i don't do that well so i had to better myself i had to like i didn't have any choice or or get out of the game completely because i just couldn't do like people kind of can read what shit i'm not with before i even say anything so like motherfuckers won't even mm -hmm. like test me on certain shit to see like will he because it's like oh clark clark's kind of a straight shooter he's not gonna you know he's not gonna do that whether i would i wouldn't they don't even know but some about their perception is like we're not even gonna go there with them so um so i just yeah i had to bet on me I had to bet on me and move to a new city and you know 
hope I had built up enough good reputation with how I performed and get in where I want to fit in. You definitely have the, uh, so how are you liking Los Angeles? Is like, cause it's definitely one of the, I listen to one of the episodes of your podcast. It's like, I wish it would just rain. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the only complaint. <laughs> that's, yeah. If that's my only complaint, fuck it. Yeah. No, I, 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 I love LA and people give me shit all the time. They're like, uh, New York is where it's at. I'm like, New York was like college to me. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. Like I didn't have any, uh, I didn't have an older brother and none of that stuff. So it was just a bunch of learning experiences, doing a bunch of shit that I, was, that I thought of I would never do, but I had the freedom and everybody was doing it and everybody was broke. So it was like, fuck it, like do what you got to do and like different drugs, all this other type of shit. So it was a college experience. And then once I got to LA, like I said, I thankfully had somewhat of a reputation to at least get me a look on certain shows. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like, all right. We haven't seen him out here. I haven't seen him yet, but you know, I've heard enough about him. Some people, you know, vouch for him. Cool. I think if I had come to LA first, I would feel about LA how I feel about New York. That's interesting. Um, it also helps that yeah. you got you got Will and Julia there too. Are they? Do they live close to you? Um, when I lived here, I lived close to them. Um, the vibe of LA is different. There is no New York. You could fucking trip over a garbage bag and land on a comedian. Like you're always around a damn the train um, at a bar in your house. Like comedians were fucking, ever, the industry was everywhere. Like here, motherfuckers go home at the sets or before the show's over. Like it's just a whole different type of hangout. Like it's more like, oh, I'm out in LA working on this. I have work in the morning. Mm-hmm. In New York, majority of the comedians didn't have work in the morning unless they were doing like a moving job or something else. Like they had something else they were doing. They weren't, I got to work in the morning. I got to be on set or whatever. So like, it was cool to have them for, you know, backyard barbecue and stuff like that. But it's just, people assume that you're, if you're out here and you've been in the game for a while, that you're out here working on something. Yeah. So like that was the biggest difference that I saw. And do you find that like most of the people in the rooms in LA, they're like staff writers somewhere or like they got, they, they're like in the game in another way? You never even know. You could be living, I met a dude living out in North Hollywood, away from everything. Makes three million a year just working on post-production shit, stand up. I'm just like, you don't even, like it's way more horizontal. New York is kind of like vertical in that. All right, have you done this yet? Have you done this yet? Like, then you get this. You, you got a SNL audition, and it's very much everybody keeps tabs on where you are based on have you done this show or whatever. Out here, it's like there is no comp- there is no competing against other people because they everybody got their own shit that they going or doing. Nobody cares. Like we like I said, you just assume you got a writing job. Of course you did. You're you're in LA living. Like <laughs> you have to, you got to pay rent out here somewhere, somewhere. So we assume that you're working. Um, so there's no really no need to get you. People don't get jealous, which is which is what I love about being out here from a community standpoint. It's just like everybody's just doing their own shit. If you don't feel like getting up, cool. There's a lot more peer pressure. I felt like in New York, like you got to come to this party, you got to be at this bar till three a.m. You got to stay to the end of the show. And it was cool. I learned a lot from it. It's just that. At my age now, I just wanted more time to be at home working on my individual shit projects and whatnot. Yeah, that's that's definitely part of it. That was 
it, it is cool for like a handful of years and after a while you start wondering what the hell am i doing <laughs> especially when it gets like when it gets like you're like why why am i still at the creek in the cave <laughs> r.i.p creek in the cave at 4 30 in the morning look at all these assholes <laughs> yeah you would go and you'd be like no nobody that's such a that's such a humbling thing when you go to the creek at one point later and you're like nobody knows me here and i don't know anybody like people have kind of you kind of graduate from the creek um you do and you know i can't shit on the city as a, i would love to live in new york with some money that would be great yeah, like it's a whole different i haven't even seen the city as someone who works in the industry um and is comfortable so i can't shit on the whole city being broke in new york is 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 one thing but like i would love to live there with some money that would be great see now that you're in los angeles i do have a question for you because we're going to segue into our the reason why we have you on here are you going to become a lakers or clippers fan since you're in la now I like the Clippers. I like I like um, I like uh, Kawhi a lot. Paul George let me down, and you know, I had a long time, and I still think a reasonable criticism for LeBron. I still do, but his play since he became a Laker, I think, is some of the best I've ever seen. It's definitely the best I've ever seen from him. His play as a Laker. Other, you sound like you're. You're in your 30s from Chicago. It sounds like LeBron runs an entertainment company, and I want to make sure. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. But that ain't the case. I really do think his play as a Laker is like, is undeniable. Like, I mean, at that age, to still, you know, he's still throwing down. And yeah, he led the league last year, so that says something. I, I agree. The, the jumper's looking yeah, wet, like. He was going crazy. I mean, you know, say what you want to say about a shortened season and, you know, isolation and bubble and all of that, but dude was balling. Yeah. And it's been oh, yeah. consistent I've seen in any point in his career. Cleveland, Miami, Cleveland. Cleveland, the second time he was starting to get there, but he was still a little like it. I mean, Kevin Durant gave him the business in them finals. And that was his man. Can't nobody yes. deny that. Mm -hmm. Y'all was both playing small forward. Mm -hmm. That was your man to stop. And for four straight years, the MVP of the finals was a small forward that LeBron was supposed to be guarding. That's just a fact. Right. Or the small forward that was guarding him, you know, like Iguodala. Like, um. Or the small forward that was guarding him. So he wasn't getting tired. His man wasn't getting tired and he wasn't being stopped. He, to the point that his man was the best player in the finals. That's just a fact. But his play last year in the finals, um, uh, I, I eased the 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 um the criticism I have for him after seeing that. Yeah, I feel the same way because I mean, me and George talked about it a bunch. Is that like when that playoff start? Like that team, that team's not good. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. I think they're better now. Oh, yeah. This year, honestly, like they got better pieces, but like that team last year, like that roster, like they, that was one of his weaker teams. He didn't have winners at the end of the day, no matter, even at their best, none of those guys were winners. Dwight, uh, Dwight Howard, um, I think the only winner was JaVale. Was JaVale, yes. Yeah, and JaVale is like a goofy. A 10 minute. Yeah, so, like, like, you can't even count him as like a leader. But uh, Anthony Davis won the winner. 
Rondo, Rondo is was the should have been co MVP in my in my opinion. Like they don't win that without Rondo. No, I agree. And even though I think they're better, they still need a they still need a point guard. They they gotta have a Rondo. Yeah. I mean, they gotta have somebody like that. Somebody I, that can take the ball. I would have done. I would have put everything. I would have. I would have put all. Look, I don't care. We need Rondo. I agree. Um, and I think without Rondo. Unless they do something during the middle of the season, I don't see them repeating without some sort of person like that. I agree. He's, he, I think he's the reason they got past the Nuggets. Um, yeah. I agree. I just don't want to – I just got done listening to, like, me and George being like, they're definitely fucking not going to win. Like, they suck. And then yeah. they fucking – you know, so I don't want to say anything. Then... <laughs> we definitely had that conversation because that roster was kind of a mess. I was like – Kentavious Caldwell Pope is your third best player. The fuck out of here! But they got saved by not having to play the Clippers. So, you know, I I mean, I'm really. I I have a problem with uh, Spades going to the Lakers. Man, I thought I thought that was a sucker move. Um, That was a real sucker move, man. Like, and if he was as good as Durant, people would give him more shit for it. But that was like. That's like a chump move. I can't. I can't ride with that at all. Like I don't. I don't appreciate that. And I ain't even know Lake. I ain't even from LA. But I'm like, man, like <laughs> a move, bro. Like, what are you doing? Like, that's just. That's just weak, man. It, yeah, I, I. I hate it. But um, I don't know. I don't know if maybe Vogel can. The chemistry got to be right in order for them to repeat. We'll see if they got it. It's like a, it seems like everybody did their best to get better. In, in in the West. So the, the road there is definitely going to be a little bit harder. Dave and I, we've discussed this, like you mentioned Paul George, and I have this abusive relationship with Paul George. Do, is he one of my favorite NBA players? At times, yes, but he's also kind of like lost. So how, you said something about Paul George earlier. It's like, what'd you expand on that? How do you feel about Paul George? I, lo- I always liked the You know, Paul George had some, has had some very key moments. Like I wish I could see like a uh, a key chart or um, a, a monument chart of different moments when he was killing LeBron in that Eastern Conference Finals. Just nailed the three on him. Then LeBron came back and mm-hmm. nailed the three. When he shook LeBron's hand, they dapped up at uh, at half court. It was incredible. His career, his career changed after that. I think he's a head case in a lot of ways. And I think just getting that gratification from LeBron at that moment, that's when the series swung the other way. Because, I mean, he was just, he just, he was just lights out trying to get the gratification and the acknowledgement from LeBron. And that's a head game that started with Jordan, with whenever Jordan needed somebody to slow down or when he needed to kill their. Um, ascent, he would just act like he was friends with them. And it happened over and over again. And they wouldn't know what to do because he like, yeah, he. Yeah, because that's what, that's all that they played for was to get Jordan's approval. And nine times out of 10, he was a fucking raging asshole. So like. And it was all strategic. Yeah, of course. Charles, Charles Barkley, Jordan lets Charles Barkley play golf with him. All of a sudden he don't have that edge the next day. That's why I love when Giannis was like, hell no, LeBron ain't playing with you during the offseason. Fuck you. You're going to see, you're going to get this when it counts. That's when you're going to see how I play when you can't prepare for it. 
which I think is the spirit of, which is why I fell in love, why, why I love professional sports. But um, I just want to take from uh, Chris Rock thing. I don't know if you watched him in a lot of podcasts, but he was talking about some advice he had got about um, baseball players. Have you heard about this? Have you heard this? No, no, go right ahead. He said, uh, Tim McCarver, who was a catcher um, in, a, in the major leagues, said, every game there will be a guy who was just focused on getting a hit. And they will let him come up. He'd come up in the first inning, like a little guy, not a home run hitter. He would be just so focused on getting on base at least once. First, his first at bat, they would let him, they would groove him some fastballs, some easy to hit pitch, let him get a single. Because they knew that after he got that single, he would be so relaxed and not pressed to get a hit that he would lose concentration. So if he came up again in the seventh or eighth in a clutch situation, he had taken his foot off the gas so much, they didn't even have to worry about him. And then they would throw him a curveball or something that he's not ready for. And he was telling Chris, that's how Chris Rock was. Once he got a sketch on at SNL, his first like Nat X, once that started to bubble, he lost his edge. So you got to think about what your goals are and not to not to play to it, but to play through it. You know, some people are like, oh, I got me a Comedy Central half hour and their edge goes away because they put so much into just getting that thing. People, players put so much into getting LeBron or Michael's approval that once they get it, okay, what's your motivation now? And you can't relax before the game or the series is over. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or the career yeah. is over. Yeah. Or or that or that is when the career is over. Once you get that thing late night, you know, in the beginning, so many people just want to get JFL. And I'm just like, it's stuff after that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you did everything you could to get this one thing. You got it. And now you don't have that same burning desire for anything. Jordan and the Bulls used to do that shit almost every game, like they would fuck with a team psyche throughout the whole game. As far as like, they would purposely take their foot off the gas to, to let, to give this, you know, to let them, to lure into a false sense of security. And then, and they knew, cause like, yo, we could be down 20 points with five minutes to go and we could still make that up because they're not going to score on us when we decide to play defense. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. they, it took 20 years to realize like, you can't, you, you don't have to not play de- Like, even if you can only play defense at a high level, 25% of the time, it's like when to use that 25% of the time. Right. And like the bulls were always, that's why they were so good is because they knew when to push it and when to not push it. He was an assassin, yeah. man. Yeah. And just the whole thought. He was an assassin. Thought. He knew he could drop 19 in the fourth quarter on Toronto. Yeah. And he knew that, like, if he, yep. like, somebody could have Gary Payton or whoever. He, he, he yeah. knew he could drop 19 in the fourth quarter on the, the Raptors because they would take their foot off the gas. As soon as they got a lead, it was like, all right, we, we good now. We got a lead on the Bulls. Yay. Oh, Iverson, let, he, Iverson crossed him over. It don't matter. Jordan still dropped 35 and won. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Everybody talk about that play, but. Philly lost that game. I know. Well, that's like, I always had that battle with, I've had that battle for 15 years with Knicks fans who like, you know, I'm still, <laughs> it still makes me like, they want to talk about the one John Starks dunk. I'm like, you guys never beat us. Like they didn't win. They never won. <laughs> like, You're ringless. Yeah. 
I've uh, I've heard one of my other friends from Chicago. I forget who said it. He was like, he was like, first off, he didn't dunk on him. He was dunk adjacent. It's like, <laughs> hey, Mike got Mike caught it on that one. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> and that's as a Chicago fan. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, look, he had it, but it was like that's all they have. The one game. that's all they had. Knicks went zero for the nineties, man. <laughs> <laughs> And, and for the 2000s. <laughs> and for the 2000s and counting. So so before we get into the game, is like, uh, I know that you're from Chicago. I know you love the Bulls. Why don't you give me like two minutes of your favorite Bulls memories of those of those early Bulls teams? Because me, I'm from D.C. I love the Bullets, Wizards. And for some reason, we always drew y'all in the first round. And there was that year that we had Weber. That year we had Howard and was like, and we thought we we're going to make the leap and y'all swept us. So what did you yeah. tell me? Because like, give us a reason, like uh, some of your favorite Bulls memories before we get into our game. You know, first thing is when they signed Dennis, everybody was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you, could, you could just feel the city going, what the fuck is about to happen? And then they put that billboard up on the expressway. And that billboard was like on my way to high school. And I'm talking about, like it was a already a 45 minute drive from my home to my high school. But when that billboard went up, it went up to two hours because people it was a billboard of Rodman with a suit on and the sleeves cut out and his tattoos. And I'm saying like they always talk about this, but like Dennis was up there in popularity with Mike um, in Chicago in the world. For that short period of time. In that short period, like late night, mid nineties, 95, 96, 97, eight, like Dennis was, Dennis was up there with popularity because Mike was just a grown man, you know, and it was just like, okay, Jose Banks suits and, you know, that's just not exciting. Like we had went past all the, the, the young stuff, but like Dennis was this young, young acting MTV age, like, cool. He'd have too many followers on yeah. Instagram yeah, if probably. this was yeah. today. Uh, yeah, it, it would be insane. So just like that popularity was crazy. Um, they had to take that billboard down. They had to take it. They had to take a billboard down. They had to paint over. They had to paint over it. It was the whole building because that room, that that building, they used to have like all sorts of Chicago sports people on it. Like they, it was like Sandberg was on it at one point and shit. And then they put it to Rodman and yeah, it stopped traffic on the expressway. It stopped. It shut the Chicago, it shut Chicago traffic now. That's the, that's one, that's the memory that stands out the most um, positive wise. There was a lot of negative things like motherfuckers getting shot over gym shoes and all of that, which is unfortunate. But, um, you know, that, that's what comes with commerce, man. But yeah, Dennis. Dennis signing and him going crazy and having the city going crazy and the hairstyles. And it was just like, cause that's when I was like, you know, becoming a teenager. And I was like, before that I was kind of young. I was like, you know, I just root for whatever my parents root for, but I was like 14 and like starting to come out um, on my own a little bit and being an adult. And I remember it vividly, like watching the news, reading the newspaper every day. And, uh, like working for a newspaper and just seeing, like being a part of it in some kind of way, was uh that was the the second three P was everything. So seeing that you mentioned the goat, who you think is the goat, Michael Jordan in basketball, we're gonna talk about who you think the goat is, the goat in rap, and that is Nas. And this is this is solely based on a tweet that you had, and I couldn't find it, it but I remember because I oddly enough you tweeted out about Nas being the goat, greatest of all time. 
And then I went out and bought a Nas record on vinyl that evening. Because I was like, you know what? It's like, Clark is right. So give me, give, before we get in our game, we talk about Nas and our favorite NBA players. It's like, why don't you, why don't you tell us how you feel about Nas and why you think he's the GOAT? Nas, for him to even last this long in rap, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a young man's sport. And you got to understand, even I take cues from that in comedy in that, you know, making a lot of our jokes in the beginning are like, I'm so young, I made this dumb mistake, or I'm so masculine, I made this dumb mistake. And it's just like, so it's a young person's game in that way. And just how he not only has survived, but thrived through it all. It ain't like he chasing it still. You know, he put the album out when he wants to, and he took things from outside of rap to make it. Like, if you're older in rap, people got to understand that you're not broke for people to be okay. It's like, oh, he don't even need this. That's how I look at it, you know, with stand-up. Like, I just want to have so many irons on the pot that um, I can, it don't matter what I do with my spare time because, like, I'm taking care of business otherwise. Also, storytelling, like, verbal intercourse is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, verses in rap. And it was a feature. It wasn't even, like, his shit. But he made it is. Um, he also has like worked with so many different producers over the time. It's just like the catalog, man. It's crazy. I agree. We, let's get into it. Oh, you know what? You know what I really love, and with differentiation from Jay Z, and I think I know now what you're talking about. He never has been like, I'm not a rapper. I'm a hustler. He's all. It's different when you own up to it and say, Yo, I'm a rapper, and I'm a rap the best, as opposed to. Shh, I'm just a motivational speaker. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> his, his storytelling is, I mean, yeah. His, yeah, his writing is, to me, is like, makes him, you know, it's like, I wrote, even wrote down, like, you know, all these, I hate this shit that's like top five or best this or best that. Like, even though I, I do engage in it myself, um, you know what I mean? Like, you can't help it. Yeah, you can't help it. But but uh, I, I have a hard time set like, there's nobody that I would put above him. There's nobody that I would say is better than him skill wise, like just even Mike presence or writing. You know what I mean? Like he, he could do things that nobody, and it, it always like, he's a great person to look at with, with sports because he makes it look so effortless. Like it doesn't seem like he's right. trying that hard. He's smooth. His flow, his flow, though he's, persevered through these different things and he's had his down parts like you know Nostradamus and all of that his style of rapping has not changed he has he came up with a, with a style a flow and boom I'm gonna just ride this wave until the end yeah I mean like since 94 that's, that's yeah, I mean like the, the, the live at the barbecue verse is is is, is it, that's greatest of all time status just from that alone he was like 18 yeah, he's 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 young, and I've seen the, the video. He he looks young, but uh, anyway. So we brought you on for a reason. I know you're an NBA fan. We know that we you love Nas, and like uh, here at the Know Your Rolls podcast, we are doing this is part two of our NBA preview. So what we're doing is like we're each doing like five Nas songs, and and then five NBA players. It's like that. I sent you an email. It was like uh, it was like if you were watching a highlight film of this uh, of this NBA player, this would be the Nas song that you want to hear in the background. So you being our guest, Clark, once you kick us off, what Nas song and what NBA player? I'm just going in no particular order. For LeBron Durant, I put Hate Me Now. 
It's like, for obvious reasons, you know, yeah. they've both gotten their fair share of hate. Durant still, some of it is, and you know why the thing is? Both of them deserve it because it's self-inflicted wounds. Like, not five, not six. Nobody told LeBron to say that. Nobody told him <laughs> to comment. Nobody told him to have a fucking press conference to announce all this bullshit. Like, Nobody told him to do any of these. These are all self-inflicted wounds. Nobody told Kevin Durant to make a burner account. Like, all these things are your fault. And he's just like, but they still have won despite and that. they're still dope. Kevin Nice. All right. So hate me now for uh, Durant and LeBron. Dave, what you go next? All right. Um, I, I was going in kind of in, in uh, sequential order. So I start off with one of the best songs of all time, which is Ain't Hard to Tell. And uh, I love that track so much and Illmatic so much because it's like it's he, it's aggressive and raw, but it's still like super jazzy and smooth. And it's also like, you know, off the first album and it's one of the best albums ever. And it's his first album and he was like 19. So everybody was like, oh shit. Like, and he was all, he was like already a thing when it came out. You know what I mean? Like he had been, like you said, through the, the main source track and like, you know, he was kind of, people had, there were buzz about him. So that's why as an NBA player, to me, he's John Morant. It's John Morant is uh, ain't hard to tell because as soon as that dude stepped on the court, you could tell that he was going to be legit and he was going to be like a thing. And I think this season he's, you know, I'm excited to see uh, how much better he even gets from year one to year two. John Morant. Nice. The, uh, I just got a, I got a text uh, a bit ago. It was like, it was a John Morant, uh, Muriel in, in Memphis. It's like it's a, the size of the size a building. They love him in Memphis. Uh, so I'm gonna go next. It's like I'm going big, and uh, everybody knows my favorite team is the Washington Wizards. And I'm gonna start with Ether. That is to me is like probably the greatest rap battle song of our time. I'm gonna I'm gonna make I'm gonna go full circle when I get to the end. It was like, and uh, the the reason why I love Ether so much is love how clever it is because uh, usually rap battles are aren't as clever as this one, but Ether is like just like. Accusing Jay Z of stealing like uh, lyrics from the from from Big A, just like it's and uh, I rock hoes, y'all rock fellas. I, everything about that song is incredible. <laughs> and uh, if, what player was that? What player? Oh, Russell Westbrook. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like because there's nobody plays anger in him, and I, I love the Russell Westbrook experience, even if it is nine for twenty four, one for four from three point land, nine rebounds, eight assists, and four turnovers. So that's uh that's who that's who my ether is. Clark. Damn. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go with um, this is a, a dual player. This is Carmelo and Dame. And I go with this season first uh, that he did over to Jay Dillaby. Um And uh, hold on. I, I want to pull up because the, the season is about, well, obviously NBA this season, mm-hmm. but also it's about um, people counting you out before you're done. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll get a one lyric where he's like, uh, who told you I lost it? I just put it down for a second. Damn. Can the King lounge for a second? Kick his hips up. Grow stubble on the face for once without a smooth cut. Before they call me Luke. Uh, grow a little gut. Can't even enjoy the fruits of my labor. Before they call me Luke and hand me my lightsaber. Like, that's my, that's my, like, Carmelo, like, people... People giving you a schedule for when you're supposed to get a ring or when you're supposed to do a thing. But it's like, I'm still in the game, man. Let me just live my life. So the season 
for Carmelo and James. Yeah. Nice. Dave. All right. Like I said, I'm going in uh, in uh, sequential order, so I'm taking the track off It Was Written, which is my favorite track off that album, which is the last track, The Message. And, you know, that album kind of get because Illmatic is such a classic and it was like his debut. I think people kind of shit on It Was Written, but that's a, it's a really good album. I love it. And I love it. It's definitely like that that song specifically, the message is like one of the best story. Te- I mean, you know, he does that throughout his whole career, but he tells a story just as good as anyone. And uh, like I said, that's it's one of my favorite al- tracks on that album. And that's why it's Donovan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell, somebody yes. who was the 13th pick and like he plays in Utah. So it's easy to forget about him. But yeah, he's. He's really good. <laughs> He's raw. I'm Mitchell's insane. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so like, uh, it's, it's like my my next one is like I also chose the message, but for for far different reasons. So I'm glad that it's like you didn't bring up anything that I, I, the the thing that I love the message about is I love the references to C before MC Gusto, which is Chris Roth's character from the movie C before. I love the Scarface reference. I love the Goodfellas reference. Uh, but the line that is like I chose this this basketball player is like there can only be one king reference of King of New York. Uh, I love the Sting sample and uh, talking about how you ran the island in '89. There's got to be LeBron, and for me, is LeBron how you ran the island in '89? That's how you ran Bikers in '89, and that is to me a shot at Jordan. It's like there can only be one king, and that's LeBron James, and then the message was LeBron James for me. One life, one love. There can only king. There can only be one king. Go ahead. That's hard. Um, three. Number three is uh, the Thieves theme. <laughs> and I give that to Chris Paul. <laughs> For obvious reasons. Yeah. Play me at night, they won't act right. <laughs> He's one of the Steel's leaders. Like, Chris Paul is just, it, it has that, it, the song has that edge to it. The uh, And if I'm watching a, a Chris Paul highlight tape, I think Thief's thing would just be perfect. Like, he knows how to get a shot off when he's supposed to be getting a shot off. He's shorter than a lot of people. He took, he stole the um, the hate or the like the the uh, criticism that people have that OKC OKC team. They're supposed to be in the bottom of the uh, of the thing, and he stole them into the playoffs. So I got to get that to Chris Paul. Thief's thing, Dave. All right, so uh, I go with this. Th- my next song is a song that when I first heard it, I didn't love it because it it's kind of flashy, it's kind of a gimmick, and that's "Got Yourself a Gun," um, mm. which and I don't like the song, the the original track, the sample. You know what I mean? Like the it, first of all, I had to look up that band's name. They're called the yeah, Alabama from- Three, <laughs> and yeah. yeah, it like just hearing the name of the band, I probably am not gonna like the song. Um, but uh, but it just it made me. I just wanted to watch Sopranos. <laughs> but the yeah. more the more I listen to that song, that song is fucking great. His lines on that song are are ridiculous. Like to me, it got a lot better. QB don't stand for no quarterback, and that's why it's Zach Levine. That's that's perfect. Zach Levine, somebody who I am still kind of mixed on, to be honest with you as Bulls fans, Bulls fan, but, uh, like he is really like talent. He's really talented. He's extremely talented, 
I don't know if he's going to be like, again, he's not the quarterback. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he, he's, he can't be the best player on like a legit great team, but he's still really good. And like, you don't, I mean, he, he averaged 25.5 points a game last year, 4.8 rebounds, 4.2 assists and 1.5 steals. Like, yo, he's, he's good. <laughs> That's perfect. When he realizes that when he takes over a game, or when he has that comp, when he realizes that he got himself a gun, like he goes off. That's perfect. That was such a great, that's a good thing. You're like, he's like one of those players that you're like, oh, no, no, no. Yes. You know what I mean? Because he's like taking, he's rising up to take a three over like two dudes, but he hits it because he can do it. And you're right. When yeah. he, when he yeah. goes in that streak, in that stretch of that game, I mean, that game he had against Charlotte last year where he. Yeah. It was like eight points in four seconds or something like that. Oh my God. He hit like 13 threes in that game. Crazy. He went off. He went crazy. Sure. He went crazy. Yeah. All right, George. All right, so my number three is a, is kind of a newer track. Well, new-ish from a few years ago. It's from Nasir, and that's White Label. Um, uh, I like the frenetic pace of it. It's a great song to run to. And uh, something about – it's like you mentioned earlier about, like, Nasir's like, at this point, he has money. So he's, like, going to uh, styling at the Met, eating at La Scala, laying on the most expensive bed, still on losing sleep. Sleeping next to Jet, Jet Beat of the Week, nineteen ninety three. It's just that just that lyric just kills me. <laughs> uh, and it's just two minutes of just him just going just crazy. And I love that song. And here at the Know Your Rose podcast, he gets mentioned a lot because he is one of my favorite NBA players, and that's SGA. Shea Gillis Alexander is my is one of my favorite players in the NBA. I love that stat line: <laughs> the nineteen points, the seven rebounds, the six assists, the three steals, and the two blocks. I mean, and uh, that that's uh, speaking of economy awards, white label. It's just First, uh, that song, 2014-2015, the Kanye produced uh, Nasir record. That is an incredible song. So, White Label is SGA for me. All right, Clark, what's your number four? Damn. Okay. Number four. Man, you made me want to change it, but I ain't. I want to change it to Still Dreaming, but I'm going to stick with Made You Look for Jason Tatum. The mods be shooting, man, and they make you look. They make you look, but then they don't quite get to where they need to get to. I think Jason Tatum has every skill set. He got the teammates. He got the talent. I feel like he had the coach at one point. They shooting, made you look. Nice. Like we, we get captivated by that Boston team, man. We get captivated by oh, Jason Tatum's wearing Kobe shoes. They've been practicing with Kobe and all this stuff, but just. They ain't really, they ain't really ready yet. So I went with they shooting for Jason Tatum. Nice, Dave. All right. So my next one is off a record that, like, when I was looking at Nas's discography, I was like, oh shit, I almost even forgot about this record. But I loved it so much when it came out, and that it was the record I'm talking about is Distant Relatives, the one he did with Damian Marley. Oh. And and like I like a number of tracks off that album, but the one that like kind of made the rounds and. And it's probably the best track on the album is the first track, which is As We Enter, which like that song is so bubbly and energetic. And like, it's just like three minutes of like pure hype. I remember I, I, it's also like a very New York song, which is why I wanted to make it a Nick. And who I, I always shit on Nick's, you know, being being a Chicago fan. So I wanted to 
and we talked about them last week about how terrible they are. But um, but I wanted to mention a player who actually like I would want on my team, yeah. uh, which is Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson is as we enter because that dude is like a pogo stick. And he's like, I think he's like, I mean, George is the stat nerd in this group, but uh, uh, I think he's like the per minutes leader of like everything, whatever the fuck that means. Um, but uh, but yeah, Mitchell Robinson, man, he's like, that dude is, he just piles up stats as long as he's on the court, which isn't very long, but. Guys. All right, so for my number, my number four, uh, I'm gonna go with something off of Life Is Good. I wanted to have like a a a strip club song because I want to at least bring up this this next NBA and the song I'm talking about is Summer on Smash, uh, Sorak on Splash, Summer on Smash, Look a Baby Girl Shaking That Ass. I it's it's not the most clever of Nas songs, but I, I've always enjoyed it. <laughs> And it's, it's it's Miguel and Swiss Beats, and I think it's a fun song. And if I'm gonna do a strip club song, I gotta have the strip club king in the nba right now which is james harden he's got he's yeah. got his he's got his he's got his jersey retired in certain strip clubs in houston shout out to houston strip clubs incredible by the way they are <laughs> i'll be down there in february oh nice <laughs> um, and for my uh, for my five my fifth i know i can be what i want to be if i work hard at it i'll be where i want to be for none other than Giannis out of Tacumpo. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, brother. You put in that work. You have this great spirit. Your home, your hometown loves you. You're trying to make, you're trying to bring a champion to Milwaukee, which already in itself is wild. But if you work hard at it and don't work in the offseason with LeBron, you will get it. <laughs> you will get there. Out of the compo. I know I can. All right, Dave, what's your number five? I like that. Because he's also like a main mainstream, but like is really good. Like that song is, it is good. <laughs> it's for the kids. Yeah, it's a great song. <laughs> um, yeah, for the kids. All right. So my last one is uh, off some off is some obscure shit. Is off uh, an unreleased album that he had in two thousand one before it. Like I, I don't even remember honestly how I heard it. I just remember hearing a specific song because I the verse always stuck with me and the album that it like i said it never got released but it's called death of escobar and mm. it was like supposed to be right before stillmatic i think and like it was like a concept album and it like got shelved and who knows who knows what but there's a song on it called death anniversary that like you know the 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 very first line of the song is what if az didn't exist and i just put him there and played it like a ventriloquist and like, I don't know why, but that line to me was like the coldest shit ever. And I always remembered it. And that's why as some unreleased shit that like is still as good as a lot of people's whole catalog, he it, that song is Devontae Graham, an undrafted player who came out of nowhere and all of a sudden is like a stud and still, still might get shit on because they fucking went ahead and drafted LaMelo Ball to take his spot. You know, all this guy did is come in and set the league on fire, and now he doesn't even have a starting job anymore. So he's uh, the unreleased unreleased death anniversary. <laughs> What's up? Well, <laughs> we'll see about that. Devontae Graham is very good. Uh, uh, for my last you, song... You don't think uh, Lamelo's gonna play play uh, take his playing time? That that shot's a mess. He needs to. That needs. That needs. 
that thing is not <laughs> just so like the launch angle and the release point. I is, I have a tough time looking at him. I, he can pass the ball like shit. It's like, but hit that shot. All the ball brothers like they're where they shoot the ball from is kind of a disaster. Yes. Um, uh, all right. So for my final song is like, so I started off with Ether, the, the Jay-Z diss song. Well, I'm going to close it out with a song, a collaborative song. So that's Black Republican. Uh, it's like the Jay-Z verse is great, but the Nas verse is like a couple of fat cats, a couple of AIs. I, I love that. I'm back in the hood. They like, hey, Nas. I just, I just love that shit. So so it had been a collaborative effort. And I'm going to talk about one of my favorite NBA players of all time, because he just, he just, you've already talked to him Clark. He just knows how to just drag people with them. That's Chris Paul. So Black Republican is how I close it yes. out with with my reference being Chris Paul. Um, uh, well, we did it, guys. That was it. The uh, the Nas NBA Part Two preview. Clark, before we let you go again, thank you for being on the show. We we appreciated the time. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. Man. This is a lot of fun. Uh, thank you, man. It was like uh, uh, plug something before we let you go. I'm everywhere on socials with at the Clark Jones, T-H-E-E Clark Jones. And uh, I make custom clothes. And um, if you go to Etsy, I'm classic black customs from hoodies to tees. And I uh, I customize sneakers, too. So I'm just I'm just out here in the field, man. Anything you need, let me know. And what's good with your uh, with your show? With oh, um, Run the World will be out in February. Make sure you. Get a stars account now or date somebody with a stars account so you can watch Run the World. And this is season two? This will be season one oh, still. Oh, season oh. It, it debuts in February. Gotcha, gotcha. So check it out then. And uh, yeah, support support all the stuff, man. Keep supporting this podcast too. Thank you very much. We, we appreciate it. Uh, Clark, just one last thing. I'd be remiss if I didn't say uh, my, my thoughts are with you and your family. I know it's been a trying year for you. So um, uh, you, thank you so much, bro. Absolutely, yeah. man. You, you take care of yourself and uh, I'm here if you need us. Love. All right, bro. Thanks, man. Yeah. All right. Yo. Thank you. All right. We uh, we're back. That's uh, that was a great conversation with Clark. Hope uh, you guys enjoyed it. We want to again thank him for coming on. That was uh, that was great. It was uh, great to talk to him, and uh, yeah, liked his all of his uh, his answers. Yes, he came, he came with some good shit. Absolutely. Um. Well, all right, George. Let's move into our last uh, segment here. What What are you looking forward to? What are you looking for this this weekend? This next week? Well, I, th- I guess this episode is going to come out on Friday, so or Thursday or Friday, whatever. And I guess it's uh, Christmas. Uh, it's, it's the weather's weird today. It's like the sun is up, um, and it's not very cold. But there are Christmas lights, so I'm assuming it's Christmas. And uh, I'm not doing anything except for watching Wonder Woman, 1984. It's uh, it's it's on HBO Max. Dave was nice to tell me that you have HBO Max because you have HBO, and I was like, oh no shit. Glad you figured that out. So, like, I was like, so I can watch Wonder Woman 1984 and all of the DC movies, I guess that <laughs> that they offer on there. So, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make some breakfast. Me and Gladys are gonna watch Gladys is name my cat. Me and Gladys are gonna watch Wonder Woman 1984. Um, uh, it looks uh, mildly entertaining. So, that's what I'm doing. What are you looking forward to this weekend? Well, yeah. So it is the holiday coming up. Uh, I I don't celebrate it. I being Person of Jewish heritage myself, um, but we do wish everybody a happy holiday for everybody who is celebrating. 
Um, I'm going to watch a movie. It's what I normally do on Christmas Day. I'm not going to go out and walk around the city as much and go to a movie theater and eat Chinese food, <laughs> uh, which is what I normally do. <laughs> but I mean, I'm sure there is Chinese places open, so maybe we'll get Chinese food. But uh, the movie I think I'm going to watch, I want to watch uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That's what I'm looking forward to. Have you seen it yet or heard of it? No, no, I, I have heard of it because it's... Uh... It's Chadwick Boseman's last film, and uh, I hear he is yes. uh, phenomenal in it. So, and the lead, of course, Ma Rainey is Viola Davis, who's is Viola Davis, and I'll, I'll see anything that she's in, with the exception of fucking the help. I'm not yes. watching that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed, a hundred percent. But but she is a legend, and yeah, no, she's she's incredible. Uh, and also, not only Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman, Boseman of course. Um, but our know your roles fave uh, Glenn Turman is in it. Yeah, I saw that. And uh, yeah, it's based on an August Wilson play from the eighties, which August Wilson, fucking American Treasure. Uh, yeah, and it's about like Chicago blues musicians in like the late nineteen twenties and shit. It looks great. It's uh, and it's only an hour and a half, so that's like you're hitting. It's only an hour and a half. Jesus. Yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's fucking what, crazy. Like, that's what I want. <laughs> I don't like like, you know, yeah. I want a I want a 80 minute experience. <laughs> Economy of words. Economy and of words. You said it, yeah. Something I'm not good at in practice, but I do maybe desire. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, yeah, everybody uh stay safe and healthy. We're this is going to be our last show of the of the year. It is. It's the last show of 2020. We're going to come back even stronger than ever for New Year Rolls. Sure are. The guests and the topics are going to be even better in 2021. Remember to rate, review us on iTunes, follow us, subscribe, all that shit. We're on Twitter now, KYR Pod. Uh, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing on Twitter. I've been on for like a week and uh, I'm already exhausted. <laughs> so, uh, George, I'm, you're going to take that over. <laughs> Twitter Twitter is definitely a different beast. It's like, I feel like I need, we need to hire an intern. So if, shout out, shout out, it's just like, you want to be the intern for the uh, New York Rolls pod. Dude, it's like, uh, I think it's like, uh, I get on Twitter and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's a, like, I didn't realize, like, I mean, I guess I maybe did, but it is a job. Like yeah. running a Twitter account is a fucking job. Um, yeah, so if anyone wants to do that job for free, <laughs> please call us. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nobody's doing uh, anything in January. You could be, you could be the New Year Rolls intern. I mean, you know, you got to get in on the ground. Like, exactly. Also, I, I don't know. <laughs> but because uh, don't you want to be the person behind Dave and George? I mean, because like you're, you're the next level would be to be us. Yeah. I mean, that's where you want to be, right? <laughs> but i'm just saying you could it's like that's that's how we're gonna have the job offer or when i put it posted on linkedin is like you could be an intern for new roles and then you could possibly replace one of us <laughs> in season in 2021 it's gonna be like help us please yeah <laughs> help us on fucking yeah, twitter i'm you're doing this shit with the uh, rubber cement and popsicle sticks as i've uh as I've been telling people, <laughs> but uh, with that, we're going to, uh, we're going to call it for this week. Um, everybody stay, uh, stay safe and healthy and have a good holiday. And uh, as usual sign off, wear your mask over your fucking nose. Peace. Right. Out.
Oh,